Amen. Morning, everyone. <laughs> um, my name's Matt, and uh, yeah, not part of the leadership of this church, but um, one of the people that helped uh, found it 10 years ago. And uh, yeah, I've uh, been asked to uh, speak on giving and speak on generosity. Uh, we, you, you might have noticed if you're kind of maybe kind of fairly new to church, we don't kind of we don't talk lots and lots about giving, um, but I tell you what, we do an awful lot of giving, okay? It's part of who we are, but we don't kind of pass bucket right, buckets around or anything like that, because that is, yeah, it hasn't been necessary, because God has provided for everything we've needed, which is great. But anyway, this is so much more about giving to church. This is so much more than that, although that's a great place to start. It's about how we live our lives. And I've called this Redefining Success, Okay? Because the world tells us there is a certain, certain kind of way that you can understand success. Now, if I was to start this by asking you a question, uh, or asking you to think right now of a successful person, or even if I was to say, who is the most successful person in the world that you can think of, or who is the most successful person that you know that you can think of, if we were to go out onto the streets of Bradford with clipboards and we were to ask people, who do you think is the most successful person in the world? Being the wealthiest person in the world, and only just beats the most recent wealthiest person in the world, Bill Gates, who's no longer as wealthy as he was because he just keeps giving this stuff away. Um, so kind of maybe that kind of like money and finance you would think of. Often, kind of like, we often kind of think of entertainment, don't we, when it comes to success? Still the greatest female kind of like selling artist of all time. Some people recognize this lady, Madonna, and um, I went for one of her older photos because that's when I thought she was most attractive. And um, <laughs> second, most attra second most attractive, ooh, <laughs> that is not what we're doing here. That's not what we're doing here. <laughs> oh, she'll be back at the altar. <laughs> Second best-selling female artist of all time, Rihanna. Okay, believe that or not. Um, I was going to do best-selling male artist of all time, but I thought putting a picture of Michael Jackson up there might be a bit interesting. So Elton John, second biggest best-selling, very, very successful. Then when it goes into sport, of course, the best footballer of... No, maybe the best-looking footballer of all time, um, David, David Beckham. Put in. Pelé, absolutely. And uh, kind of certainly the best kind of, well, maybe the best female tennis player of all time, current kind of champion, Serena Williams, uh, Tiger Woods, what amazingly successful, successful um, person just recently uh, kind of like hit the new heights of success. We could go into films, you could just go into all sorts of different places when it comes to success. Um, Brad Pitt, the person, you know, that we all wish we looked like, unless you're a woman, in which case you just wish your husband looked like him. Um, and... Um, and then maybe kind of like we could step into the realm of politics and that, and uh, just put one of my favorites up there, Barack Obama. And you've got to say, kind of like becoming the first black president in a divided country like the USA, that's pretty, pretty successful, isn't it? Now, the one thing every single one of these people have in common, they're all stinking rich, yeah? Every single one of them. They might not have started off stinking rich, but they are now. So it's interesting, as soon as you start talking about success, you almost always end up with people who are stinking rich. Jesus redefined 
success. While Jesus probably defines success, and we've been redefining it ever since, is probably truer to say. You know, the world, when we say the world, we mean kind of like people that don't live according to God's ways, the secular world, define success very often by how much you have. Yeah? True? Yeah, true. Jesus defines success by how much you give. And all I want to do this morning is take two sections of Scripture. Um, that's a word we use to refer to the book, books of the Bible. Um, and see how they might challenge us and how we can apply them. Now, before the first one goes up, I just want to um, explain uh, kind of what I've done here. And again, it's so good that we've got loads of new people at church, people that have become Christians, becoming Christians, choosing to follow God, which is fantastic. And so just so you understand a little bit about the Bible, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark. Oh, you're so clever. Um, we learn that at school, don't we? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different accounts written by four different writers. Now, the thing to understand is that all those different writers, they all engaged in the life of Jesus at different points, but they weren't always there at all the bits that they write about, okay? They weren't always eyewitnesses. And so they all kind of like write either based on what they've seen or what they've heard passed on by other people. And one of the things that I loved, now when I was a new Christian, I didn't love this, okay? Is the fact that you get slightly different accounts. Is this on okay? Oh, no, it's fallen off my ear. You get slightly different accounts, there we go, that's loud, louder, isn't it, in, different, in the different versions of the Bible. You see, different people remember, remember different elements of it. And, and not only that, but often when they were writing the Bible, they, were actually, they might have even referenced some of the writings that were already done. So Mark might have referenced Matthew, Matthew might have referenced Luke. So what I've done here, which is very interesting, is take one passage of Scripture and I've pulled all the different bits in that appear in the other, other bits of the Bible. And it's really interesting. I thought, I'll just explain this because I, I find this sort of stuff interesting. So I've taken it from Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. But I've got a few bits of Mark chucked in and a few bits of Luke. Because it really tells the whole story of what happened in this moment. And I've made it clear. So if you can have it up on the screen, that would be great. So uh, it's, quite, it's quite small, that, isn't it? Is that too small for people? Just for future reference. Uh, mostly okay? Okay. So it says, just then a man, although in Luke it says, just then a certain ruler. So it's not just a man, he's a ruler. Came up to Jesus, and according to Mark, he fell on his knees before him. And he asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This would have been a question that kind of like the Jews talked about a lot about eternal life. And when they said eternal life, it wasn't just about how do I get to heaven. Eternal life was a much bigger, wider concept. It was about full life here on earth as well as eternity with God. Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself only appears in Matthew, it doesn't appear in the other two, which is interesting. All these I have kept 
since I was a boy, Luke and Mark said. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the young man said. What do I still lack? And then it says in Mark, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Luke and Mark do it slightly stronger and firmer than that. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In this passage, Jesus is redefining success. Now, in many ways, you might not quite see how he's doing that. But that little interaction right at the end of it is totally and utterly Jesus redefining success. You know, it's how he says how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the response from the disciples is just like, what? 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 Who? Well, if, if they, effectively, if they can't be saved, who can be saved? Because the view back then was totally that if you had money and you had wealth, then God was on your side. God was blessing you. People saw people of wealth and they presumed that it was because that God favored them more than other people. And so when Jesus said how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, his disciples were just like, man, we're all stuffed then. Yeah? If those people who God clearly bestows his favor on can't get into the kingdom of heaven, what chance do we have? This was one of the key things that Jesus came to deconstruct of how they thought and understood God and his blessing on people's lives. But let's go back a little bit to the young man, the young ruler. Now, when I've heard this preached on a few times, and maybe, maybe you have as well, and I've always kind of seen this as, you know, this is like a kind of a fairly cocky kind of like young man. He's made his money and, you know, he's turning up and he just kind of wants to know, oh, you know, I've got everything else. I've got the, got the car. I've got the house. I've got the this. I've got the that. Oh, what else do I need? Oh, eternal life. I suppose that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I'll go and see this rabbi Jesus and find out what he thinks I need to do to actually get into eternal life. But no, this is a really, this, this, oh man, this is bugging me. Excuse me a minute. If anyone's listening online, first of all, thank you for listening. I'm just altering my microphone. No, I think that'll do it now. Thank you, John. This guy, we know he was a ruler. We know he was really wealthy. But also, 
This was a man who was devoted to God. He was devoted to God. You didn't walk around approaching rabbis saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Unless you had a heart that was disposed to God. And even when Jesus starts to go through the commandments, what does he say? He says, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. This was a devoted follower of Yahweh, which is the, the word that the Jewish people used to refer to God. He was devoted not only was he devoted, he was keen. He was keen. He wanted to know how, did he have, how could he have eternal life. And not only was he keen, he was humble. Because he came to Jesus, the teacher. And he fell down on his knees before him. And he said, what must I do? This wasn't some arrogant, wealthy, young... Fill in the gap. This wasn't some guy that was just full of himself and didn't give us stuff. This was a humble, devoted follower of God. And he comes to Jesus. What must I do? Jesus rattles through five of the big ten commandments. Don't murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your parents. Then he throws on to the end of it. And love your neighbor as yourself. All of this I've kept. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's such a powerful phrase. You know, whatever God asks you to do, whatever he maybe asks you to stop, to give up, Maybe there's a relationship that's unhealthy that you have to stop being a part of. Maybe there's a habit that you need to leave behind. Maybe there's some pride that you need to leave. Maybe whatever it is, we've sung it this morning, he is a good, good father. Whenever he asks you to do anything that maybe seems hard or difficult, he looks at you with love. He looks at you. And he loves you first before he asks you to do that difficult, hard thing. And so there is Jesus. He's got this young, devoted, passionate follower of God in front of him. He looks at him and he loves him. He's thinking, what's the very, very best thing for this guy? And he probably picks the hardest thing going. And he says to him, sell everything. Sell everything. And give to the poor. I've heard people talk about the fact that, say, this guy who was so in love with his money, he was so dedicated to his money. That was all that mattered to him, so he had to leave it behind, just, just as an alcoholic has to kind of vow never to touch another drop to truly stay free and to truly stay dry. This guy needs to go nowhere near material possessions. I don't read that. I read a fairly humble, 
guy who wants to follow God and does follow God. Why did Jesus make it so hard for him? You know, why couldn't it just be sell half? (laughs) Yeah? 25%, 50%. Come on, Jesus, can we bargain on this? Can Can we kind of make this a little bit more doable? If you don't mind, Jesus. And what's, it's another question for those of you that have maybe been a Christian for a while, because you've heard this preached on and you've, you've known a lot of Christians. Why is it that 99.9999% of Christians don't think this verse applies to them? Have you ever met someone? Some of you, some, some of you might have. Have you ever met someone who has actually taken this verse and thought, you know what, that's for me? That is, no. We all managed to sit back and go, whew, yeah, he wasn't up for it. He wasn't up for following Jesus properly. I am. Really? Don't be too quick to write it off. Now, there are some things that Jesus say that we're to maybe take with a bit of a pinch of salt, and maybe then a bit more um, of a a metaphor, an image, you know, like when he says, kind of, if your eyes cause you to sin and gouge one of them out, and I've never met anyone that kind of has done, done that either. But I just say, stop. As we talk about giving, as we talk about giving, stop and stare this in the face. Because maybe... Jesus is saying it to you. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Everyone's like, really, really hope it's not me. (laughs) Really hope it's this person. By the way, some of you are sitting there going, sell everything I've got and give it to the poor. That won't take very long. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Because the reality for you is you're struggling to put lecky on the meter. You're struggling to put food on the table. And... But if you have anything... Stare this in the face. Might Jesus be saying it to you? And if he isn't saying it to you, how close might he want you to get to following this particular verse? As I was preparing for this, I sat there in my house. And I've got a nice house. I looked around me. I don't own all of it yet. I looked around and I thought, wow. Would I have the bottle? Could I do it? Could I sell it and give it all away? Could I sell the car? Could I empty the bank account? I can understand why this guy walked away sad. I'm... I would walk away sad, I think. I love you, God. (sighs) I'm not sure I love you that much. It's horrible to say words like that. But, But think about it. Think about it. Would you be prepared to, if God really spoke to you and said, give it all up and give it all away, would you be prepared to? This has to confront us. 
This has to confront us. If you're here and you're poor, you're struggling to live and to get by, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. And actually the Bible talks in many places that actually it's so much easier to enter into a relationship with God if you're poor than if you're rich. Even referencing sign, he referenced the parable of the soils and the sower. It talks about the weeds growing up and choking the life, the deceitfulness of wealth, choking the life of God out of us. And Jesus then really makes the point. He says, harder, harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, if you've heard this preached on before, as I have, there's a, there's, there's a brilliant little analogy that there was a gate um, in Jerusalem that was a really small gate. And if, if traders arrived late to Jerusalem, the camel had to get rid of all of its baggage and get down on its knees to get through the gate. It's a brilliant story. It's not factually true at all, actually, if you do a little bit of research on it. The gate doesn't, never existed in Jerusalem. It's just our way of trying to say, well, I'm sure it is possible for the rich to get in. Jesus is like, well, actually, it's not. And the good thing he goes on to say, well, it, all things are possible. And God makes a way for us, rich or poor, to enter into relationship and enter the kingdom of heaven with him. So I want to read to you from Luke 12. I'm going to read this pretty quickly. And I'm going to pull just five verses out for you. This is just continuing the same theme of Jesus redefining what success looks like in his eyes. Luke 12, 13. Someone from the crowd called... Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured, Jesus redefining success, life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and my other goods. Then I'm going to sit back and I'm going to say to myself, my friend, you've got enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, Look, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Don't be afraid, little flock. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Oh, he's at it again. 
I ordered a marching band. <laughs> a few minutes late, but here they come. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I want to just pull out five verses very quickly. Verse 14. Beware. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Beware. Life is not measured by how much you own. Verse 21, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Verse 30, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. And I put it to you, they dominate the thoughts of believers an awful lot as well. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Finally, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. I suggest to you that Jesus is really clear that how you keep your money and how you give your money is a major demonstration, a major indicator of your willingness to live for God. It's just one part of it, but it is a significant part of it. You will know how much you're truly willing to be his, but how much wealth you keep for yourself and how much you give away. I've deliberately just tried to just use lots of Bible in this rather than lots of additional stories. But I really want to use it to say, listen, think about how you give Think about what you keep. Think about, don't think so much about what you give away. Think about how much you keep and spend on yourself. Do you give to church? You know, in the New Testament, which is often a, a brilliant model, the church was the first place that the believers gave. It was the first place they brought what they had. In fact, the church back then was so good at taking care of the poor in their midst and the poor around them that they loved to bring it because it was an expression of their, not only their devotion to God, but expression of their compassionate hearts as well. And that's what we've sought to do at the Light Church is to build a church where you know if you come, and, and most people that are, have followed Jesus for some time, they give around about 10%, what the Bible calls a tithe, into the church. And thankfully, it's not a question of, but there's all these poor people out there that we, I, I want to go and help. Because it's like, I can give it into the church. The poor are helped. The church is built. We're able to meet in a place like this because we give. Now listen, if you're becoming part of the Light Church, or you are part of the Light Church, and you don't give regularly, then, then that is the place to start, in my opinion. Okay? And I believe the Bible would back that up as well. But listen... We don't want to do this thing legalistically, okay? Maybe you're just starting off giving. The thought of 10% feels like, oh my goodness, that's hard. Maybe you just start. You just start and then you pray, God, give me more favor, more grace, more faith to give that little bit more, to give that little bit more. It may be you're really poor and you've barely got money to put food on the table. 
Well, there were times when Jesus saw the very poor give just a small amount. And he said, that's more blessed than all these thinking rich people giving loads of money. Maybe that's just a good place to start. I'll tell you what, it does you good in here as well. Because God made it, uh, yeah, just something that it just builds the life of God in us. It truly does. Maybe you've heard this 10%. Maybe you've reached it. You just need to keep going. You need to set yourself a new bar. What would it look like to aim for 20%? If you're at 20%, what would it look like to aim for 30%? If you're at 30 what would it look like to press a little bit higher? How does life currently sit? How does your financial life lend itself towards that? Are there possessions that God wants you to sell and give to the poor? Or are there decisions that you need to make that means that you can't afford possessions that you would otherwise have had? Sometimes that is true. A great example, I don't think um, she's here today. Ailey, who's just come on board with Gaz as a debt coach, she's given up a whole day of paid work to be able to volunteer and give to the poor. There are creative ways you can, you can not buy the possessions or not have the extra holiday or whatever and live for God in that way. Guard against every kind of greed. Don't store up earthly wealth without being rich in your relationship with God. And if you have earthly wealth stored up and you're not giving generously, I question whether you really are rich in your relationship with God. Don't let thoughts of what you're going to buy, what you're going to eat, what, all that stuff, don't let that dominate your thinking. Seek God's kingdom and sell your possessions. It may not be that Jesus called you to sell everything and give to the poor. But I put it to you, if you have money, he's probably asked you to do some of it. Yeah? You can keep going on ignoring these Bible verses. You won't live anywhere near as fulfilled a life. This isn't about getting money for the church. This is about releasing you from the one thing that could squeeze the life of God out of you. Listen, on a purely practical note, if you haven't already started giving to the church, there are these envelopes around. Maybe you started, maybe you didn't stretch the 10, maybe you stretched the 10, you think you could give a little bit more. Why don't you pick one of these up? Maybe you could fill it in this morning. Maybe take it away, pray about it, think about it, talk about it if you have a partner. Maybe you can stretch a little bit further. Help pay for the wonderful work that this church does. But most importantly, worship God with your money. Worship God with your finance. Don't keep it for yourself. Use it and give it away. This is so challenging. Please, as you leave this place, don't just walk away and don't think about it. Go away, think about it. And do whatever you can so you don't walk away from Jesus sad. Do you want to pray, John, for us?